With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. This episode brought to you as ever by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be discussing Friday night's defeat to Leeds. Normally it's a day of the week that treats us kindly, but it certainly wasn't this time around as Fulham went out with a whimper before the international break and we failed to close the gap to Brighton and Newcastle. Brighton did us a favour yesterday. But Scotty Parker's boys certainly didn't do themselves any favours with a messy performance stunted by Marcelo Bielsa's impressive, impressive team. And I'm joined by all the writers today on the podcast. It's a writer's special. First of all, uh, a Fulhamish writer you all know and love, Cam Ramsey. How you doing? Yeah, well, as good as we can be, I guess, on a on a Sunday. I've got a week off and I've got a beer, so whatever. <laughs> It could be a lot worse. And um, it's not their debut on Fulhamish because they have been on Fulhamish before, but they certainly haven't been on in a while and maybe not been on a podcast in this setting. Uh, it's Jack and Loz. Uh, first of all, I introduce Jackie. How are you doing, Jackie? Good, thank you. I don't have a beer and I don't have a week off, but other than that, I'm okay. <laughs> and Loz, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, it's very nice to be on it. And uh, and with you guys on the writers, the writers special. Wow. Well, um, I wish it was in better circumstances that you were here. You were saying before the podcast, you were given the choice of either coming on for the Man City podcast or for the Leeds podcast. And you thought this one would be a positive one. But alas, your uh, your forward thinking didn't quite work as you'd have planned. No, a big shame. Um, yeah, we thought that we weren't going to beat Man City. We thought that we had a good chance of getting something out of the Leeds match, but no, all ended in disappointment. Uh, well, Cam, as ever, we're going to do some three-word reviews. So, Cam, uh, what did everyone come up with after the game? Well, we've got a couple of corkers. First time, bear with me, all right? We've got all Nathan right. on Twitter. Ailing survival hopes. Love that. Very good. George Whitcomb, we are refinished. Nice <laughs> of course, I quite like that. Uh, I believe we've got Drew Heatley's brother here, Joe. Um, it says untied by top knots, which uh, <laughs> I have to say. And uh, well, my favourite was actually from the Gram. It's uh, Alistair Nimmo with pointless hair guitar. And uh, <laughs> I, I do quite like that. Obviously, there's a theme growing uh, as much as the hair is too. So those are the ones I've, uh, I've elected. Great, great stuff. Okay, well, let's come on to the match then. Uh, and Jackie, I'll start with you. Just such a disappointment, really, wasn't it? After, you know, what's been an amazing run for Fulham since the turn of the year. We saw that Man City game and we thought, okay, we'll, we'll write that one off. We were never really expected to beat Man City. I think a lot of people came into this Leeds game with confidence against a side that doesn't have a lot to play for. 
and maybe the first time where it felt maybe the pressure is getting to this team, maybe the weight of expectation has fallen on them quite harshly. And we were just second best, really, weren't we? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things, really. Um, everything you've said is true. I think that the, the main disappointment, and, and we made this point in the blog, is that we've spent a lot of games recently being as good as the opposition, if not better than the opposition, wherever in the table that opposition was. And in the last two games, that's all fallen apart at a very worrying time in the season. Yeah, we were we were not the better team. We weren't as good as Leeds. We 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 had our moments, but we didn't take them. And it's left us all feeling a bit deflated and a bit worried about what's what's coming up. I mean, Cam, Leeds just thwarted us, didn't they? Really? It, it, and Scott said that we pl- we ended up playing their style of football. We got very much lured into their trap and. He said the one thing you don't want to do against Leeds is make it become a basketball game. And that's exactly what we did, didn't we? Well, you said I said before the game that matching their intensity, especially in the middle, was going to be a huge, huge determiner on how this game pans out for us. And the battle was ultimately lost in the centre of the park for me when you have Calvin Phillips that splits play up so you know, so so um, so robustly, and you've got Tyler Roberts playing off him as well, um, and you also have Matthias Clip coming on later on for a bit more uh, uh, muscle and metal, and we couldn't match that. And it's it's all well and good having a player like Harrison Reeve that is so good at also splitting play up himself, but he can't play as a lone ranger out there. He needs people beside him as well. I, I believe, especially when it's so cutthroat as well. Um, and I, I, I just feel we, we were totally sucked in and reduced to playing a style of football which we really weren't equipped for. Um, we were inept on the ball, especially at the back. We're so good at playing out, or at least we try to kind of advertise that kind of game ourselves. And we were completely smothered and, and constricted by the visitors. And we, we can really have no complaints, though, because... We kind of got what we bargained for. You know, I don't think that we set up in the right way. Um, we weren't necessarily prepared for the strains and pressures of which they would exert. And yeah, they turned the screw and we had no answer to it. So the best team won. That's all That's all it is, really. Uh, Loz, I loved how um, you said in the game, uh, by the time Leeds had scored their first actual goal, they had already disallowed two, one for offside and one for the worst celebration of all time, <laughs> which... <laughs> I don't think anyone can disagree with that. I just, I mean, it doesn't matter he, who you support, that is a fact. That Luke Ayling celebration deserved to have the goal chalked off. I think the VAR team thought, right, come on, let we've got to find a way to disallow this, to take his hairband off like that and play it wasn't even the guitar was it It was like the banjo and um, the air banjo that he was playing but the warning signs were there as much as, as, as horrendous as that celebration was i know but can you imagine having that celebration and then having the goal disallowed i mean that is just doubly embarrassing and it was like uh, embarrassingly off the richter scale to begin with so i mean god um as uh, as we called it the hair bear bunch they were just like they were so bad in so many ways but that that goal celebration it really that deserved a red card I thought yeah well fully agreed on that one 
but I mean, it it was just felt like it was coming, didn't it? It was wave after wave, and that was such an early warning sign. And we just didn't really manage to take heed of that, though, did we? No, I mean, you know, from the off, apart from the the cav opportunity after about fifteen seconds, we thought we we never really start matches like that. That seemed completely sort of unlike us. But you know, we never got a grip. It was nervy. It was tetchy. It was always, you know, that that goal was always coming because we just could not impose ourselves on the game at all and we just looked frenetic we didn't look composed I mean it was it was almost like our worst nightmare sort of happening against Leeds and if you think about it Leeds are a you know they've done well this season a good side but you know that we, we've played much better against the likes of Spurs or Chelsea or so many, and obviously Leicester, never mind Liverpool and all, all, you know, some of the big teams. And, you know, so ultimately, I think for me, that the, the real issue was not so much the result, and everyone says Leeds deserved to win, which they obviously did, but it was the performance. It was, you know, I mean, we understood how Leeds were set up. I mean, Bielsa might be some tactical genius, but Scott knew about the high press, about the intensity, he, everything he said before the match and after the match. So quite, you know, I think it was down to the execution, not necessarily purely on the tactics. I think the players felt the pressure. I mean, you could see that. And it's like you were saying at the beginning, something. the pressure was there. I mean, people like Anderson, who have been like rock solid since he's been here, I mean, putting a Man City match aside, which was not, you know, 15 minutes of, you know, horrendous play. But he he did not look composed together on top of it. It was just, it, it was, um, you know, it, we, obviously we're going to analyse the match now, but it is one to, to put, put, you know, in the faraway corner, learn some things from it, and then we've just got to move on. We've got, you know, eight matches now to make the difference. Yeah, let's go on to that first goal, Jackie. And I, it was so simple, wasn't it? A throw-in. A quick, a quick cross, and then I, what it reminded me of the Villa game in a way, the way that Anthony Robinson just lacklusterly pointed at him. Oh, Pat Patrick's there, and Tosin went. Oh, what me? I've got to defend him, and then and Patrick Bamford before you knew it, as quick, as quick as a flash. It was it was it it was hallmarks of early season defending. That wasn't it. It was. And, and, you know, that's what's really worrying. I mean, we used to talk about the triangle of doom since Anderson and Tosin have come in. We haven't seen the triangle of doom. And yet suddenly it's back, this chaos at the back in, in a, you know, a group that has normally been so well organised, how they allowed that to happen. You know, as you say, throw in into the box, into the back of the net while Tosin and, and Anthony were just having a bit of a chat. So, yeah, not really good enough. They were talking about their bad hair, Jackie. They probably were. They were distracted by the bad hair. I get that, (laughs) but that's okay for us to talk about their bad hair. They should concentrate on defending. Have you seen, talking of um, bad um, choices, have you seen Tosin's trousers that uh, he's been rocking in the dressing room? They're kind of like flares mixed with jogging bottoms. Um, And Ola Aina was uh, ripping into him on Instagram stories. It was was very enjoyable, to be fair. Um, Nearly as bad as Trent Alexander-Arnold's fashion choices, which you may have seen on the uh, front cover of the Style magazine. And well, there's nothing stylish about it as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Akanda, we got ourselves back into the game pretty quickly and we scored from a set piece. Uh, 
hallelujah, praise the Lord. We've only been saying all season that we need to eventually score from one. It only took playing against the worst team for defending set pieces to get one. But I mean, it was so simple, wasn't it? He just swung a leg at it. Well, that's a silver lining in it, I guess. We were playing against a team, like you say, which uh, can't really assemble themselves properly at set pieces. And we finally took advantage of it as well. Um, great execution and great finish from um, from from Anderson too. You know that's that's the kind of conviction you need when the ball is flo- basically floating towards you. You've got you've got the guy. He's got his marker by 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 the scruff of the neck, and it, you know he's he, he's gunning he's gunning to get that ball in the back of the net, and that's the intent you need to get us back into the game, especially with half time looming as well. It, it was a great carrot against the team, which would definitely. Uh, you know, in the ascendancy at that point as well. We did obviously have that 15 minutes towards the end of the first half where I thought we were just growing into the game, becoming a lot more comfortable with how we wanted to approach uh, approach Leeds. And yeah, it, it, it was lovely to see. And obviously, you know, the, the passion's been ripped out of the game. Watching it at home, it's not the same being in the stadium. But um, same as the goal against Liverpool at Anfield, it was an it was an eruption here. Like you know, I, I didn't see us really getting a goal back in that game, and to get one at a set piece where we haven't really looked threatening at all season was uh, was a real plus and a bonus, I suppose. And not yeah. from a header either. Yeah. And the other thing is, we've got to say that Lippmann's corners are pretty good. Well, they are. Yeah. They're, they're pretty bang on, aren't they? You know, he's got a nice finesse in his. Uh, in his product, which we need to tap into more often, to be quite honest with you. And uh, yeah, you know, it's a nice cushion volley from from Anderson. So we, we used to three. moan about short corners, didn't we, Jackie? Oh, we did. The short corners were a complete waste of time. I think part <laughs> of the tactics here were to get corners because they knew how bad leads are at defending against set pieces. So we won lots of corners. Lookman took them really well. We created the chaos in the box, but it was only on that one occasion that we did manage to score. And I think Anderson obviously got a taste for it because in the second half, whenever we had a corner, he was sort of pointing at himself and, you know, he wanted it on his head or or, or wherever, which was great that he was really up for it. Um, But it just didn't seem to happen. They just managed to do enough, particularly their goalie, to keep the ball out on the the other chances we had. Yeah, I mean, we grew into the game after that. I mean, there was a good chance that Anguissa was well saved by by Melia and then got to one all at halftime. And I must admit, I was just very relieved that it was one all because I was thinking, well, we weren't anywhere near the better team in that first half. But we've managed to get in level at halftime. Um, Loz, Parker made a change. Madja for Mitro. And... I'm slightly ashamed to say it. I thought it was a good decision at halftime. I saw it and I thought, bring him on. They're weak at set pieces. Then they're generally not a good side at at defending headers. And I didn't think Madger had been all that effective. I look back and yeah, I I think I got it as wrong as Parker did. Well, you know, it's easy in hindsight, as we all know. But um, well, actually, I I was happy to see Mitro on the touchline. But... um, when I was watching at home with my takeaway, it was um, I I wanted Madja and Mitro on the same pitch. Um, so I wanted them both together. So we are Mitro fans. We know he's had a disastrous season. Every time they say he hasn't scored since that he played Leeds last, you know, that's because he hasn't had much game time. We know he's had lots of off um, matches. But, you know, 
never say never with Mitro, I think. And, um, and I thought Mitro and Madger would have been a really good combination, particularly because, as you were saying, Jackie, about all the, the set pieces and leads being um, particularly, you know, can, we can prize them open through the set pieces. We were winning corners. And, you know, and Mitro... In the last match, I thought he looked not bad, actually. And so I was happy to see him. But Madger came really close in the first half. That yeah. that spin when he sort of turned when it was the pinball in the box, he was pretty sharp. And after that, there wasn't a lot, but he's still there. So, you know, and there were a lot worse players on the pitch. So for Madger to come off. So I would have had Mitro on, but with Madger I, still I, there. I, I, I totally agree with that as well. We've always been crying out for kind of a little and large partnership up top to kind of play off one another and to incorporate a bit more space in and around the 18-yard box. And we haven't really had that with just a lone striker. So I agree with that. I would have liked to see him on the same pitch at the same time, obviously. I guess is the is the issue though that we were already struggling in the midfield and if we'd have taken off a midfielder, we'd have potentially have been completely overrun. With it. I and think that, that's probably what he was worried about, yes that at 2-1, we had a chance to get back in it, lose the midfield, concede more goals. So actually, we mm. weren't at 2-1 then, were no, we? We were at 1-1. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think... Sorry, Jack. I was just saying that we needed someone to score goals because Leeds yeah. either win or lose, don't they? They don't draw. So Yeah. <laughs> We'd have got chances either way, I guess. I mean, one that one that was interesting about this game, I didn't really talk about the starting lineup, was that Scott stuck with the well, the the three defensive midfielders, um, and and didn't bring back Loftus Cheek, Jackie, and look, Loftus Cheek has divided opinion all season, but maybe did it show that actually there is some value to him in this team and. I didn't like Anguissa at centre attacking midfield. I think he was obviously trying to mark Calvin Phillips out of the game, but it just didn't work. And it feels like Scott had a winning formula in midfield and he's changed it for no real apparent reason. Yeah, I mean, Loftus-Cheek is an enigma, isn't he? He's come to us as this um, slightly injured but amazing player who all the pundits still still talk about in that light which is quite annoying when you actually watch him play every week, which they obviously don't. Having said that, you know, he has done some good stuff for us, but he's also been on the pitch and being completely anonymous. So would this have been the right game for him? I don't know. It wasn't the right game to have Frank up there at number 10. No, Frank's not a number 10. He did his best. He dribbled around a lot, but mainly backwards, not forwards. Um, when Loftus-Cheek came on, though, it was kind of good to see him as it always is. And you think maybe this is the game for him. Maybe this is the one where he makes an impact. But again, he didn't really. I think he came also, off the wrong player, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think taking Harrison Reed off completely surrendered all of the control that he offers in that midfield. If you're going to bring him off for anyone, it surely had to be Angisa um, at that time. I mean, Cam, I just want to get your thoughts on Adamola Lookman, right? I think... This match hinged on a kind of 60 second to 90 second moment where Lookman, I don't really understand how he doesn't connect with that Lamina cross that is a pretty straightforward one. And the leads go up the other end of the pitch. Lamina gets robbed. Could we do better in defence? Yes. But ultimately, Lookman sticks that in the back of the net. It's 2-1. We don't have to worry about that situation. He feels a bit above criticism, 
Penenka aside because of the impact that he makes on this team. But I'm just starting to get a bit frustrated with him and his end product. And, and I know that's harsh. I know he's the key player for us, but you know, we sometimes have to demand a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, that sequence of sequence of events right there, it kind of uh, embodies the term Fulhamish really, doesn't it? You know, we're <laughs> up in the ante. It looks like we're about to bag a second goal and go ahead. And once again, it's just the execution, a little lack of composure at the wrong moment from a player, which actually you're bagged to put that in the back of the net as well. He's uh, not necessarily the most proficient of players, but on his day, he gets into the right positions and he can make something happen. But Lukman was a player for me that, again, kind of like um, like a Loftus-Cheek, was a bit of a passenger. He was marked out the game. He couldn't necessarily influence it in the way that he usually does with those really sharp little short bursts to get past the player and hit the byline and get crosses into the box too. And I, I, I agree. I, I think maybe the pressure the circumstances of which we're currently in are finally starting to take its toll on some of those uh, more, you know, those, those mainstays in the squad, despite the fact, obviously, he's a lonely, of course, he's going back to Leipzig in the summer, most likely, and he won't look back on this uh, at all. But, it's, you know, we are reliant on those those players with a tiny little bit of flair, um, that ingenuity in their game to make something happen. And in that position, it was, it was a simple finish, really. I mean, I'm no professional I play Sunday league football and I probably would have gotten nowhere near that whatsoever. But you are kind of counting on him to make something happen there. And it was, it was straight away, 30 seconds later, they were two on up and it kind of knocks the stuffing out of you. And where do we go from there? You've had, you've had one golden opportunity in that second half to make something happen and we wasted it. And that's been, that's been a story since basically the start of the season as well. You know, making those opportunities pay. And it really felt like curtains when that second goal went in. There was something about it. We got out of jail once, Loz. It never felt like we were going to get out of jail again. No, I, I agree. It was, uh, yeah, sort of that despondent feeling when they when they sort of, as I say, they sort of like robbed it off Lamina and then, then you know, the great Bamford threw ball and then back of the net. And, you know, I mean, Anthony and Tayson tried to get back, but they couldn't really, you know, so I can't blame them. And Ariel is, you know, it wasn't his fault either. So it was it was a bit desperate. And I'm going back to the Lippmann chance. I mean, taking or not taking those opportunities has been the story of our season. We've yeah. had so many near, near misses, near shots, you know, not quite um, connecting. And, you know, that's why we don't score many goals. And we've got to, try you know that's what everyone's been saying all season how, how to be more clinical and that's why I would have personally liked Madger and Mitro on the same pitch and you know but Mitro wasn't really there present either he didn't make much of an impact but no you're right Sammy when that ball went in the back of the net it was like it, it didn't look like there was much of a way back yeah, I can't remember too much of note after that that really got me out of my seat. Yeah, there was crosses into the box. There was moments where I thought, oh, this could be dangerous. But yeah, there was nothing really that gave you any inclination that Fulham were going to get back into it second time around. And look, a lot of credit has to go to Leeds. It does. I think they I think they played impressively. I think they were almost the perfect level of they they took advantage of the fact that Fulham were desperate to win. And for them, it was like, oh, it's nice. 
we broke the London curse. Like that was about as much pressure as they had on them was they, they want to break the curse of not winning a game of football in a particular conurbation. Like it's not that big a deal. Um, but I mean, they seem delighted with it and Leeds fans will go on like Leeds fans do, but well, look, we're going to take a quick break and there's lots of questions to get into. Uh, hopefully do a bit of wider analysis as well of the relegation battles. So stick around. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Cam Ramsey. Evening. Lorraine Hughes. Hello. And Jackie Button. Hello. Better known as Jack and Loz. For, uh, I thought I'd give you each your individual names. I know you didn't really come as a pair like Fulham's, Anton, like Fulham's answer to Anton Deck. Um, but <laughs> um, I mean, which one stands on the left? Which one stands on the right? We, we, we alternate. We're not the same as Anton Deck. Oh, okay. You, you, if I see you in a pub, you won't necessarily always be standing not in the always. same way. We'll okay. always be at the bar, but we won't say, yeah. always be standing the same way around. That's a given. I mean, speaking of um, the bar, you, you always talk about in your blog um, what, was, what you were drinking, what you were eating. Um, people seem to resonate with that as much as the actual football chat in your blog, don't they? They, they, they're almost as fascinated with kind of what goes around the football. And and obviously when we were going to stadiums, it was always about which pub you were in or often that was the old Suffolk punch rest in peace. Um, But people just seem to love that stuff as much as the, the football chat, don't they? I think we just gave people a flavor of the whole day, of the whole football experience of, of supporting Fulham. And I think for other people who were at the match, they could buy into that because they were there as well. And then particularly for people abroad or people a bit further away, you know, who've been to matches in the past, but it it refreshed their memories of things um, and made them more excited about coming to their next match. It is the whole match day experience. I mean, we don't go to that many away matches, but that's even more intense, you know, that whole thing that goes with it. I mean, Loz, has it been easier, harder to do to do the blog in lockdown? Has it been more or less enjoyable? Um, it's definitely been less enjoyable because you're not there. You're not soaking up the atmosphere. Because I think that was sort of the the basis for it in the first place. It was trying to sort of get across that whole match day experience. So it becomes, uh, you get to see more matches, you know, because you're watching it on TV and you might be able to analyse the match a bit more. But you're just not feeling it, you know. I mean, there's some funny things that we've put in, like um, Jackie. You noticed when they were calling out uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek's oh, name, and it was like Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. So you you hear things that you wouldn't normally hear if you were on the, you know, at the ground or whatever. But um, no, I mean, it's still fun to do, and the feedback and the response is just brilliant. People, you know, we're we're not a huge club, so people, we can connect. Like I think maybe more readily than some of the other bigger clubs. It means all, you know, it's more intense. I think about that's the sort of key thing. I mean, we were saying during the Man City match, what, how, how do you blog about Man City? Every match is the same. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we won by two goals. We won by three goals. We look really good. You know, you'd just be writing the same things every week. Being a Fulham fan, you know, it's a cliche, but it is a roller coaster ride. And we've tried to convey that. Um, and that's what makes it exciting to write the blog. 
I mean, Cam, obviously you do your five thoughts after each game. And whenever I read it, Cam, I get the impression that sometimes it's your own kind of self-medicine, um, a, a way of almost just like <laughs> unloading <laughs> everything that's in your head onto some onto some pen and paper. But again, have, have you found it harder this year, you know, with behind closed doors? As, as, as Jack and Loz implied, it doesn't mean you get to watch pretty much every game because there's bugger all else to do but also something's just so lost isn't there when you you can't talk about anything else other than either the match or the sky coverage really that's about all you've got to go on well yeah I mean I resonate entirely with Jack and Loz it's you know I I, I go to the games to kind of like like say absorb everything around you and real get a real kind of um you know the atmosphere going as well and, and sitting at home it I don't know. I, I, it, is, it is the same as like being a self-medicine, like you say. I, I I find myself just having a little bit of a mind blank sometimes because you're sat in the same place some often for hours and hours on end. You've watched the game and you're sat there taking your notes down and it becomes a little bit monotonous, I'd say, because obviously when you're at the game, you're... You, you know, you, you're you're kind of taking tidbits from around you. You're um, you're looking at um, different aspects of the game, not necessarily watching it as a big picture. You're you're kind of singling out a player and watching how he performs for a couple of moments, rather than watching the game kind of pan out, kind of back and forth as they do with Sky Sports and BT coverages and whatever. Um, I, I will say, my. I don't know. I mean, I feel like my productivity's probably gotten a bit better, but at the same time, I find myself kind of repeating a few little bits and bobs here and there. And I'm somebody that just loves to get to football, and I like to express myself in in that kind of environment a lot more than sitting at home and having a few beers and getting even more pissed off as the game goes on. I like to kind of feed off other people's um, you know attitudes as well when I'm actually there. So it's been difficult. It's been a little bit hard, but at the same time, it's kind of been, it's kind of almost been a, a weird kind of liberation as well, though, because I'm sick and tired of spending, you know, up to amounts of money on train tickets as well, getting up there and uh, spending an absolute fortune in the boozers before and after the game. So there is some some kind of silver lining here and there. When you're at the match, everyone in their own different seat has their own different perspective. So we sit in H7. What we see is different to what you see in H6, never mind what you see in the other stands. Whereas when you're sitting on your sofa watching the TV, you're only seeing what everyone else is seeing. You cannot give a unique perspective on the game because everyone's seeing the same thing, which does make it a lot harder to write about. No, completely. And that's it. It's all all part of um, your own perspective on the game when you're there. And like you say, if you're watching every single camera angle that everyone else is seeing, it's it's hard to break that down and put your own unique spin on it. And I've, I'd say that's been one problem for me and, and, and like you too as well. That's most likely gotten in the way, without a doubt. And I guess, you know, looking at you know Fulhamish and Jack and Loz, the blog, I think part of the reasons is that both of them are successful is because we were able to go to so many games. And I think a lot of particularly the people in the States and stuff used to enjoy the fact that it was about the cottage. And as you say, they've probably been two or three times in their lives, but they don't go every week. And it was the way of kind of living vicariously through us that go every week. And nowadays we don't have anything else to offer that 
anyone literally could be you could be in australia you could be in tahiti like your perspective on the game is as good as ours apart from maybe we might be able to relate to what the weather is like that's about all we've got like to, to be able to relate ourselves to what's going on on the pitch um, let's get to some of the questions that we've had through first one from sammy Finesilver. jackie i'll go to you on this one uh said we've seen a few more defensive mistakes in the last two games than we have for a while is this a trend emerging potentially due to the change of style in midfield or are they just one-offs i hope it's not a trend i'm not sure if two games can be said to be a trend but certainly it's worrying that the two have been similar in that yes they featured the defensive mistakes um particularly from a defense which has been so solid for so long i worry that and this is a criticism, but I do worry that Anderson and Tosin maybe believe their own hype a little bit, which they didn't do before. Um, I think perhaps we were also excited about the Liverpool win. We all became a little bit complacent, and that's us as fans. Imagine as a centre-back pairing, you have just beaten Liverpool. You've just kept a clean sheet against the old champions, and you must feel absolutely amazing. And maybe you do, you know, take your eye off the ball, both literally and figuratively for a bit. And maybe that is what's happened. I'm hoping that the international breaks come at a really good time and everyone can refocus. But yeah, it's 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 a bit of a worry. Yeah. I, and hopefully, Jochen Anderson's obviously been called up to the Denmark squad. That might be a nice change for him. I'm sure he'll have a um, stride in his step after that and they can come back refocus and they're they're hearing the same stats aren't they they're hearing that we've got the second best defense in the league other than man city and that we were conceding less than a goal a game and they were amazing statistics but as you say to two fairly young defenders it, it could go to their head i'm sure it's more complicated than they got like complacent but yeah it has to be um a factor as well um cab i'll come to you on this one i mean you're not going to be able to answer this question but your thoughts would be interesting um will hutton um i love will he's a good bloke um he asked i want to know if lamina gets his tiny shorts made especially or if they're just normal club shorts that he speedifies himself in the dressing room suppose there's a question about other players kits modifications as well why does robinson always have slashed socks for example uh are there any other wardrobe uh things that you've noticed this season or generally in the past <laughs> well, Jack and Loz touched on it in the replies, actually, saying that Mrs. Lamina maybe has a little bit going on at home to modify some uh, bits of clothing from Mario's wardrobe. But um, with, with the sorts of concerned, I think that's something to do with um, muscle. Um, it's something to do with muscle relaxant or something like that. Or I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, it, it just helps the muscles kind of breathe or something or other. I'm not really too sure about the sciences behind it. Um, Lamina's kind of he's he's a funny character in himself anyway. He's he's he, obviously um he he and he and Aubameyang are kind of similar similar people to the sense that they like the hairstyles, uh, the 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 drip factors there and clothing and stuff like that. But that's off the pitch. On the pitch, you know, it's it's the bright boots as as ever has been around. I mean, I can't necessarily put any I can't necessarily put my finger on any uh, any real trends which has been about in the Fulham squad at all. But the only kind of like historic fashion choices I can really think that come to mind were maybe Gabor Karai's tracksuit bottoms when he played that infamous game against Watford, and I remember just thinking. 
you you've just come off the street mate there's no way you're an actual professional footballer you you were on the building site down the road and they said do you fancy a go mate <laughs> that's the thing with Lamina I mean obviously with the shorts he's he's, he's bought kid sizes doesn't he to make himself look a little bit more stacked on the pitch and maybe a bit more imposing <laughs> that's about it really <laughs> it's like those bloke like you see a bloke in the gym or whatever and you're like you've bought like a 16 year old's t-shirt there and that's and, and you know exactly what you're doing <laughs> it's like those muscle fit shirts that you get in like in the shops which i just absolutely hate the concept of putting your hand putting your hands behind your muscles when you're posing for a photo yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Loz, um, Reese Benjamin asks, it's a cliche, but do you think Leeds look like they wanted it more? Now, I had a bit of an argument with my dad about this on Friday because he was saying, I think Leeds just want this more. I don't think Fulham are putting in the effort. And and I said that I think that Leeds and their style can make you look like you're not putting the effort in. But I don't think that Fulham just didn't care. I can see how it looks like that. And particularly the the second goal, you do just think a couple of times, like, oh, come on, lads. So I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because I can see that there's two sides to this coin. But that hadn't crossed my mind at all. Um, my view was that they wanted it as much as Leeds, if not more. And I think that was their ultimate undoing. I think they wanted it so much that they panicked and they were nervy as a result. So, I mean, you know, why did Leeds want it more for a start? They didn't need the points. So that, you know, obviously they wanted the glory, as you say, of breaking the hoodoo and the London win. Um, so I don't think there was sort of a real, any more of a desire than to win three points. I think it's the fact that it so much rested on this match for us. I mean, if we had have got the three points in advance of Newcastle playing on the Saturday, we would have been out of the relegation zone for the first time since December. You know, it was a it was a big deal for us to, to get the three points, and um, and and I and I think you know that that Scott normally does a I think a pretty good job of absorbing that pressure from the team. But I think they just knew the enormity of the match. And I think it just pervaded into their play because they're all good players. We know that like the last, you know, however many matches that they've been playing the last few months, they've been brilliant. And, uh, you know, as Jackie was saying, a lot of the results, you know, we should have, we were unlucky not to either win or draw, you know, whether it's at Spurs or Chelsea when, you know, Anthony was sent off and, and, and lots of matches where we were sort of, you know, the, the result flattered the other side. Whereas in this match, I mean, you know, you saw Anderson's interview after the match and he just said that was our worst performance this season. You know, so they took it, they weren't sort of trying to brush it under the carpet. They weren't trying to sort of say, you know, that um, it was just against, it was just unlucky. So no, I, I think Fulham really wanted it, but I just think that they uh, they let it, let it get to them. And that's a sort of worry because we had the momentum going with us before this match so this is the the match where the, where the performance was poor I mean losing by a goal to Leeds in itself is not the worst result because you know they've been lots of good sides this season you know they either win or lose so the actual losing by one goal to Leeds is not you know it, it shouldn't be the worst result in the world but it was just the manner of it but no I just think it, it's they, they really do need to get their mentality right now I think for the for the next few matches yeah I couldn't agree more um Jackie Paul Budd asks 
Given our rather awful home form this season, and it increasingly looks like the last game of the season will be decisive, should we be slightly or a lot more nervous about Newcastle at home? I mean, I want to say that it doesn't matter whether we're playing home or away at the moment. It's all the same when we're in lockdown. I think the results are proving that. But the fact that we've only beaten West Brom and Sheffield United at home is starting to be a little bit more glaring. what it's so hard to analyze because it shouldn't make a difference yeah it shouldn't make a difference but it does it's really weird that you know traditionally i would say that fulham are a team with a bad away record and a good home record going right back to the days of hodgson and, and before that um and even in the championship last year but it's really weird this season and in, in sort of a good way that we've gone to places, you know, Goodison, Anfield and we've won. It's, you know, that's all been really good. But very, very strange that we don't seem to perform well at the cottage. So, yes, I am actually quite worried that, you know, there's all this hype about the, the last match of the season, which as it draws closer and as it perhaps becomes more and more key, uh, is only going to get worse because there's going to be less and less for the media and everyone to talk about. So they're going to start focusing on this game big time. And yeah, I, I am I am worried. I'm worried about it already, uh, which isn't good. I guess it's the one hope that fans are almost, well, I don't, I wouldn't want to say certain, there's nothing certain at the moment, but it's looking more and more likely that there would be fans in the cottage. And the FST confirmed this week that it will still only be 2,000 fans at the cottage approximately, even though it can be 10,000 because of the way that the cottage is configured at the moment. And that should uneven the level playing field, which obviously will be massively in our favour. Massively. I mean, I think, you know, we'd all be desperate to get to that game if we can. And yes, that will make a huge difference. I think if we go into that game, especially bearing in mind our our good goal difference, if we go in level so that as long as we don't lose, we're okay, then I'd feel a lot better about going into it having to win. Yeah. I mean, I just like, I've said it a couple of times. I just want to go into that day and there'd be nothing riding on the game with four points clear. Nothing can go wrong. Or or I'd even take a, with three points clear and Newcastle would have to win like seven nil, um, which would be a bit nervy. I think for probably after a little while, you could be quite confident that Newcastle aren't going to be anyone seven nil this season. Um, Right. I mean, we need to talk about what happened last night, Cam, between Newcastle and Brighton, because it does directly impact us. Um, Newcastle were atrocious last night. Absolutely shocking, diabolical. And the reports this morning that Steve Bruce is going to keep his job. Um, Mike Ashley, I never knew he was a secret Fulham fan, but he seems to be this season. <laughs> you were just crying out for him to back him for the next 10 games at least, aren't you? You know, it it, it was a real kind of abject performance from, from Newcastle last night. Brighton, obviously, they, they just wanted it ahead of a lot more than, than the Magpies. And it really showed, obviously, it's a 3-0 loss. They've um, obviously Isaac Hayden's out as well with a seemingly quite 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 bad injury too. So I don't wish that upon anybody at all. Of course I don't. It's horrible to see professional players that you know dedicate themselves so much to the game to 
to kind of um, you know suffer these injuries, but it can only help us that they're getting these kind of strong you know midfield players out, and they're only really left with John Joe Shelby that is a bit erratic and irrational in himself too. Um, <laughs> it's just it's it's a funny one. It, they just they they all seem to be dragged into these situations. They never really seem to be safe in Newcastle whenever they've been in the Premier League or since returning a couple of years ago, obviously. There's a bit of devil about them which unsettles themselves more than it does the opposition. And, you know, there's no catching Bryson at all. I've, they're more or less safe in my eyes. You know, 99% safe. They've really, really upped it themselves in the last couple of weeks. And uh, Graham Potter's a great tactician too. And he's got them playing some real methodical football. So if they're going to survive, fair play to them and wish them all the best. But I don't really want to, you know, I don't want to come second best to a Steve Bruce side, which are absolutely atrocious. And we've actually got a little bit about us. We just can't stick the ball in the back of net. That's all. I'd like to think that we have more than enough in us to, uh, to claw ourselves out on this in the next eight games and like say if we can get to the cottage on the last day of the season 2,000 of us it will make a huge difference because us as fans we get some pretty bad rap from opposition fans for being maybe a little bit too nice a bit too reserved clapper FC and all that but when it (laughs) matters and when we get down to it we are some of the most ardent fervent fans in the game and I, I think that'll push us over the line definitely I mean, Loz, it's almost like a gift from above, isn't it? This Newcastle collapse. Like, I mean, it literally is a gift from above at the moment in terms of the Premier League table. But we've we've got to take advantage of this. And surely, like, people were having a go of like a pop at me this morning on Twitter because I was so confident that we're going to catch them. But like, if you can't be confident that we're going to catch this Newcastle team that's coached by Steve Bruce is in disarray behind the scenes has got an unfit Almiron, no Sam Maximan, no Callum Wilson, and now no Isaac Hayden. If you can't be confident, then then what are we doing this for? No, exactly. I mean, the fact that they lost by three goals last night, I mean, you know, and Brighton have had a real problem scoring goals this season, particularly at the Amex. I mean, that sort of says it all. Um, and they've got a really hard run in. I mean, you know, I'm not saying ours is easy and, um, and we've got more away matches, which is actually to our advantage this season, weirdly, because of yeah. our form. Um, and they've got some tough matches. They've, they've, they've got a lot of the sort of like the big teams. And I think they are going to struggle. I think they really are. I think, yeah, that our destiny is in our own hands. Um, I, I agree with Cam that Brighton are out of it now. And I'm pleased for Brighton. You know, I think they're a good size and well-managed and... Um, uh, you know, and they managed to just just stick in every season. Is this a fifth season in the Premier League, or is it like, what? Uh, yeah, there or thereabouts. They well, they came up together, didn't they, Brighton and Newcastle? Yes, yeah. they did. Yeah. yeah. So no, I think you know you got. To, I think I think every Fulham fan would have felt pretty dejected on Friday night, just because I think everyone was up for leads at the cottage and just trying to get out of that relegation sort of zone, but. The, the the result last night it just renewed the hope and like so you just think because it wasn't it was such a conclusive loss that yeah I'm I'm totally optimistic <laughs> that we can get out of this yeah me too and, and look I, I know that it's maybe jinxing it to say that I think that we're streets ahead of this Newcastle side but we just are like we are a better team than them whether we absolutely stay up I don't know I'm confident I mean, things can happen um, 
Jackie, that are out of our control. But you just have to start believing at some point that this is going to happen. And I, I'd like to look at Brighton as a bit of an example, right? I feel like we maybe are going through in these couple of games what Brighton did two or three games ago where they struggled to score. They looked they look like sluggish in their play and, and I, I and people feared for them. Maybe now is that point for Fulham and hopefully in the next two to three games, the games against Villa and Wolves, you've got to say are winnable matches. I know we said that about Leeds, but you've still got to be confident, haven't you? Yeah, I think, I hope what you're saying about us and, and the comparison with Brighton is true. I think what worries me is that, that, that things can happen to both teams so, yes, Newcastle have got people out at the moment, but those people will come back. They might come back firing on all cylinders. Steve Bruce might turn into some kind of genius in the next two weeks and be able to inspire them and things start looking good for them. Um, we've talked about the possible trend that our defence is not quite as good as it used to be. Worryingly, maybe that will continue. I don't honestly think it will, but it could do. You know, these are really nervy times. I think we all agree Brighton are out of it and good for them. It's a straight shootout between us and Newcastle. At least we know where we are now, but there's no room for error. There's no third team that's going to tumble into it anymore. It's between us and them. And it, it is going to go down to that last match. However much we're saying we don't want it to, you, the football gods will make sure that it does. It's going to be a very tense ride from now to the end of the season. What I can't quite get my head around is that well, there's only eight, ma eight matches of the season left. That match is over two months away. Like it, it's at, it's 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 in late May. Like we're, like lockdown will be nearly over by then. Uh, it's just it, it, we talk about this day like it's in two weeks' time. It, we've got we've got two months to sweat over this football match. <laughs> All the that's true, but I I just I'm I'm glad you guys are confident. But I'm I'm just putting in the just the little bit of cold water of reality here that we are Fulham and things don't always pan out the way we'd like them to. Yes, theoretically things look good. We are good, but we don't score goals. They're not that good, but they've got good players coming back. They've got a harder run in, but people are losing the sort of um, impetus to play for things, you know, um, and that will come into play more and more. Um, and strange results happen. So I think let's not get ahead of ourselves. No, I think that is very sensible and I can be guilty of doing that sometimes. Um, next week um, on the Thursday podcast with me, Jack and Peter, we're going to be speaking to Chris War, who is the Newcastle writer for The Athletic and kind of getting um, him and Peter on together just to kind of analyse the situation from, from their perspective as a writer and... You know, things are crazy in the Newcastle camp right now. So it'd be really, really insightful um, to get his perspective on everything that's happening in the Northeast because it's moving so fast. Today, they're saying that Steve Bruce is safe. I wouldn't be surprised if by Tuesday, something dramatic has changed in that aspect. There's protests. There is so much going on up there. So we're going to hopefully not go to Newcastle because we are still a Fulham podcast, but we're going to get his perspective later on in the week. Um, and yeah, bit, do listen out for that one. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll finish the podcast next. 
Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Cam Ramsey, Jackie Busson and Lorraine Hughes. So a couple more questions just before we finish. Um, this one from CM Quark, uh, who his at on Twitter is Agaman Cheese, um, which I quite enjoy. Uh, I like this one. He said, all schadenfreude aside, with Spurs massively underachieving with Mourinho, do you think there is a risk of them pinching Parker? Um, Jackie, your thoughts on this one? I mean, it does look like Mourinho's days are numbered at Spurs. It does. My answer to that would be yes, but not yet. Mm. I don't think that Spurs will go for Parker yet. I think they will do one day, but I think they want a more experienced, more international friendly manager. They that's the kind of manager they like. That's probably the kind of manager they need, to be fair. Um, I was surprised that they went for Mourinho. You know, surely he's yesterday's man. He's he's not who they've needed. And that really seems to have proved itself this week. Sure, they all like Parker. They liked him when he was a player, just as we liked him when he was a player. But yes, I can see him going there one day, but I can't see them coming in for him in the near future. Uh, I mean... Lars, what would be your hope then for the international break in the camp? Obviously, some of the players are going to go away on international duty. Um, probably about 50-60% are, are going to stay here. It's a bit of a break for the lads. Um, it's not been quite the intensity in terms of midweek matches that it was maybe back in January, February. Do you think the international breaks come at a good time? Uh, I, I would say so, yeah. Just on the basis of the last couple of matches, I think they just need to regroup. Um, you know, we always hear them saying that they work really hard in training. We hear Scott all the time saying the amount of sort of hard work and dedication they're putting in. Um, some of them will be going off, not as many players as other teams, obviously. Um, but uh, no, I think it has come at a good time. I think they just, you know, they they will have to obviously sort of like work on lots of areas of the game. But we know that the big, you know, defensively, they have been excellent midfield up until the last couple of matches they've done really well and so our main um weakness has been always that that clinical edge in front of goal and so but I think now it's more of a holistic team performance they've got to make sure that all component parts are sort of like working we're pretty lucky on injuries I mean if you look you talk about Newcastle and things that game on Friday night would have been a good game for Bobby I think Bobby would have been really good uh, in that match and that's a shame but otherwise we've been pretty lucky on the injury yeah, front so um, so no I think regroup get some rest get the heads in the right space I think it's really just getting them aligned and I think Scott is pretty good he always talks about the psychology of football and he's quite a open heart on the sleeve sort of guy um, as we all know uh, so I, I think he, he he understands the issues um, and I think he's much better placed to deal with it than Steve Bruce so Jackie I am more optimistic than you on the managerial front <laughs> I mean, do you think that Scott will be able to keep the morale up? Like we've talked about this season that we have mainly got a team of low knees. I guess that is potentially the worry that if things don't go right in the next couple of games, do we just see players throwing in the towel? Well, my my view, is, and obviously this is an armchair, you know, observer like everybody else, is that the players... Um, put Friday night aside, have been absolutely giving it their all. And they you could sort of see when when Lamina scored against uh, at Liverpool at Anfield, it meant so much to him and all the teammates. And when the match ended, that whole camaraderie and the teamship was incredible. And 
And, you know, and whether they're loanees or permanent players, you know, they can all go stardust at the end of a season if they want, you know, quite often, depending on where they are in their contract. So I, I think that they want to stay at Fulham. I think they're getting the vibe. They're getting Scott Parker. They're getting that it's a well-managed club and that they also know that the grass isn't necessarily greener. So as long as we pay them properly and that it's competitive and we can deal with fair play issues, I think they'll want to stay. So I don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not seeing the loanee being an issue, really. I mean, Cam, are you still feeling confident despite the knockback, the clear knockback that, that Fulham have suffered? Well, there's nothing to suggest that we're going to be capitulating over the next couple of weeks. Scott obviously galvanises the team so well. You've only got to look at last season, which was more or less his maiden season at the helm. And he uh, he got us playing in the right way. There's a great team spirit. And... Uh, no, I, 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 I believe he's got the right mix of players there that, as we've already touched on, they want to prove themselves to their parent clubs, first of all, but also to themselves that, you know, they are capable of competing at the highest level. And there's, 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 no, there's, no, there's no use in turning around after a defeat to Man City and, you know, a disappointing defeat to Leeds United, of course, and to suddenly down tools. I don't see that's the point. You know, we've worked so hard to claw back a 10-point deficit in the last, you know, month and a half, two months, whatever it's been. The end is in sight. And I think Parker, he understands what this team needs to really, you know, push on to the next level in the next eight games. And that is just to stick together and just to be true to yourselves. And, uh, you know, really believe in the brand of football which he's trying to instill into us, which is, you know, not necessarily the most prolific or proficient, but it's just to be, you know, as rigid and as solid and as unified as you possibly can be. And he's the best man for it. You've seen him when he was a player, part on his sleeve, as we've already said. He played with a hell of amount of passion, drive and intensity too. And it's it's rubbing off on the lads and I can see it in Mosford Park you know week in week out every time they get on the training field they're trying to improve and they're trying to get better and you know yeah a little setback but we're bounced back without a doubt I'm sure well, I, I feel a lot more positive, so um, I'm glad. I'm glad that I've done this podcast. If, if nothing, if for nothing else, for my benefit only. Um, right. So uh, we need to name the podcast today. Uh, Cam Ram, you're in charge of the three word reviews, which means you're in charge of the podcast name. Which one have you gone for? Alistair smashed it. It's uh, pointless hair guitar. I, I think this. Uh podcast should be named if you don't mind that's absolutely fine it's uh, it's your prerogative you can uh, choose it what you like uh, Alistair thank you very much for the good uh, three word review so as I mentioned Fulhamish will be back in the week uh, we're going to be joined by the Newcastle uh, correspondent for the Athletic Chris War and we're going to look in depth at the battle the two horse race the Costages versus the Magpies, who will come out on top on May the 23rd. It's going to be a royal rumble for the next couple of months and fingers crossed Fulham can come out the other side as a Premier League team. Uh, thank you to my guest today, Jackie Button. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Cam Ramsey. Pleasure. Up the whites. And Loz Lorraine Hughes. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Up the whites indeed. Uh, make sure you check out the blogs uh, for everyone today. Jack and Loz at the Cottage, um, 
yeah, it's such a great blog after every single match. Um, it's a fantastic read. I'm sure you read it already, but if you don't, then you need to be reading it. And of course, Cam Ramsey's five thoughts on the Fulhamish website after every match as well. So thank you very much for listening today. We'll be back in the week, a couple of weeks off for Fulham, but no rest for the Fulhamish. Come on, you whites. <laughs>